Bible app, please turn it to um, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. And if you don't have a Bible app or a Bible, just make sure you listen in. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, as she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debt the debts of both of both now which of them will love him more simon replied i suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven you have judged correctly jesus said then he turned toward the woman and said to simon do you see this woman i came into your house you did not give me any water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair you did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I have entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pull, put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, to her Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Verse 50, Jesus said to this woman, Your faith have saved you. Go in peace. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this privilege and honor that you have given to us once again to be able to learn from you, from your word, together with your people in this church and this body that you have placed us to be a part of. I pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit will guide us, open our hearts and our minds, and teach us the truth, the truth for our soul, what we need, Father. Forgive us, Lord, for all of our sins. Let nothing, Lord God, hinder us from hearing you. Remove any distractions in our minds. Father, speak to us. Lord, I pray for blessings for my preparations, but at the same time, please override it. Let you and you alone speak to your people once again this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good evening. It was uh, full. The night was full tonight. huh? I like it. I love special numbers. I love Pastor Charles' stories. It gives me time to breathe and pray more. <laughs> I love to see children in love with Jesus. They almost put me to tears. Imagine one of those children will be a missionary. One of those children will be a pastor. One of those children will be a mom that will guide her children to Jesus. One of those, or all of them. We just don't know what. 
They are the next church. So our responsibility towards them is great. Amen? Because for the parents of those children, the uncles and the aunts and the people in this church that those kids are looking up to, your responsibility is great. No pressure. <laughs> Tonight, I entitled our message, See Exhibit A, Your Life, Part 2. Before you ask, we never had a part one, I know. We, we didn't. We never had a part one. <laughs> We're going to continue with our series, God's Love series, in this whole, this whole February because it's the month of love, right? So last week, we had our, our, our topic. So tonight, we're going to continue with, 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 with that series. And I went with this title because it ended up being part two because I lost the first draft that I finished around 11.30, around 12 today. The cloud crashed and it went back to zero. It went back to my work on Wednesday which was, or Thursday, which was almost nothing. So I put this to put part two, but it ended up making sense. And then I'll tell you later. <laughs> In the court of law, attorneys for both the plaintiff and the defendant must present compelling evidences. The more compelling, the better it is for their client to either prove their innocence or to prove the guilt of the defendant to either the judge or to the jury. You know, in our walk with the Lord, the world is our jury. They are the ones looking in for evidence of our faith, of our faith that we profess. They're trying to see if that Jesus that you are claiming that has saved you is actually really changing you. As you read the account of the prostitute and the Pharisee, my hope tonight is that we will see that our obedience to God is the proof of our love for Him. And us loving Him is because of our understanding of who He is and what He has done for us. And that our love for Him is the fruit of His love for us. So this evening we have three points. The first point will be the turn or the repentance. The second point will be the evidence. And the third point is faith, not works. So we read the whole account, so we're going to chop it down. But before we do that, I want us to... I want to explain justification and sanctification to the church. I'm pretty sure most of the mature believers here know the difference or the, 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 the significance of these two. But maybe most of you don't. Because we've been talking about being saved by grace, being justified. But then we keep talking about living a holy life. While we already said that nothing, there's nothing that we can add or do to add to our salvation, to remove our salvation. So first point is justification. You will hear me say this here and there. You will hear your favorite preachers say this here and there. The meaning of justification is an act of God. It does not describe the way that God inwardly renews and changes a person. It is rather a legal declaration in which God pardons the sinner of all his sins or her sins and accepts the accounts, the sinner as righteous in his sight. Righteousness means being in right standing. Being in right standing. God declares the sinner righteous at the very moment that the sinner puts his trust in Jesus Christ. You can see that in Romans 3, 21 to 26, 
5 to 16 or 2 Corinthians 5 21. Now sanctification. Sanctification is an ongoing and progressive work in our lives. Although every believer is brought out once and for all from the bondage to sin, we are not immediately made perfect. We will not be completely freed from sin until we receive our resurrection bodies or our resurrected bodies at the last day. Romans 6, 1-4. Both justification and sanctification are graces of the gospel. They always accompany one another and they deal with the sinner's sin. But they differ in some important ways. First, Whereas justification addresses the guilt of our sin, sanctification addresses the dominion and corruption of sin in our lives, the control of the sin. Sanctification is addressing that, the control and the corruption of sin in our lives. Justification is God's way of declaring the sinner's righteousness. God's declaring us righteous. We are now right with Him. Sanctification is God's renewing and transforming our whole person, our minds, our will, our affections, and our behaviors. That's sanctification. United to Jesus Christ in His death and resurrection and indwelt by the Spirit of Christ, we are dead to the reign of sin and alive to righteousness. Somebody say amen. We therefore are obligated to put sin to death and to present our members to God as instrument of righteousness. That's Romans 6-13 and Romans 8-13. Second, our justification is a complete and finished act. So I don't want you guys thinking that when you walk, when you get out of this door and then you fall, because somebody was driving really slow in front of you and you went on your rage mode that you lost your salvation. No. You have been paid for. You have been justified with God. It is done. Justification means that every believer is completely and finally freed from condemnation and the wrath of God. Amen? Sanctification, however, again, is an ongoing and progressive work in our lives. Although every believer is brought out once from all the bondage to sin. So Christ has won both justification and sanctification for His people. These are both given. These are, all, these are together, but they are not mixed. We are not trying to say one is better than the other. But we, at the same time, we're not mixing them together. They go together. Just like I told you last week, adobo and rice, right? They go together. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it, this is clear. Because you will continue to hear me about stressing, stressing out the point of holy living. But at the same time, I'm also speaking about God's grace, our justification. So I hope that you will read your Bible, you will, you will study it, you will hear more preachings on your podcast, and then you will come every Sunday. And you will be hungry for that. Okay, so we're going we're gonna, to 
we're going to do the exposition of what we've read. But you're going to see both points in what we're going to be discussing tonight. So the first point is the turn, the repentance. Remember that what we read when the Pharisee invited Jesus? Look at the two main characters other than Jesus here in this, in this passage. First character, the first person is Simon the Pharisee. Like his counterparts, he prob Simon probably heard Jesus speak. He's been in one of his preachings, in one of his studies. And he's probably been following Jesus. And he's, he's probably one of the haters of Jesus. But he, he probably wanted to be in, you know, he wanted to be in the mix. Because, you know, when somebody's popular, everybody else wants a piece of that, right? When somebody's, something's hype, Everybody wants to be a part of it. Nobody wants to wear the fashion of the 1970s. They want to wear the fashion of the 1980s, which is now. It's coming back. So he makes the invitation. So when he, for him to make the invitation to Jesus, and we've read the whole account, right? He was not one of the lovers of Jesus. He was not a believer of Jesus. He just invited Jesus so just he so he can tell people, this is my assumption, so he can tell people that he had Jesus in there because Jesus was making a ruckus in the neighborhood. Now the second one, the second character is the woman living in, in a sinful life, which we know she's a prostitute. Now this is not Mary Magdalene as everybody thinks. It's not, it's a different Mary. Now Mary, the prostitute, must have heard Jesus preaching too just like Simon the Pharisee. Mary probably have been following Jesus around in town too. But Mary probably heard about the bleeding woman when she was healed by Jesus. She probably heard about the leper that was forgiven by Jesus and was healed by Jesus. She probably heard about the paralyzed man that the friends brought to Jesus that was his sins were forgiven and then he was able to walk. So she heard that Jesus was going to be in Simon's house. She made it a point to come see Jesus. And she brought that alabaster jar of perfume, something of high cost. Something very expensive. Now, when you bring something very expensive to somebody, that person must be special to you, correct? Amen. The answer is yes. Don't, don't worry about what you did last Christmas, which you, you bought it last Easter so that it would be cheaper. Right? Don't worry about what you did. But normally, people buy something or bring something very expensive to the person that they truly love. Somebody they care about. Now her actions of washing Jesus' feet, crying profusely. Have you seen that there? And then wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. Her hair that she used to use to seduce men. It was her trade. Her hair was her trade to seduce men. Now she was using it to wipe Jesus' feet, to worship Jesus. Now, this is amazing for me. The picture of this woman and Simon, they're both in the same place. They're both facing Jesus, the same person. They're at the same moment, but they have two different reactions. 
they have two different reactions. Simon the Pharisee, the guy that has learned and studied the Word of, of God, the person which people call the man of God, he's well-versed. He probably said a lot of prayers before Jesus came to that dinner. But he couldn't see Jesus for who Jesus truly is. He missed who Jesus is. While Mary, the prostitute, Mary, the prostitute, without Jesus even saying a word, she made it a point to go in the Pharisee's house. And she knew that people knew what she, who she was. My surprise here is this. How come Simon the Pharisee knew who she was? <laughs> right? How come Simon the Pharisee knew Mary as a prostitute? I don't know. Just like, just think about think about the parable of uh, I know, right? Jesus. <laughs> Talk about um. <laughs> how about the, the the parable of the prodigal son? Remember when the brother, when when the, the elder brother, when the prodigal came back. If you read that account, the the elder brother will say he spent his money to with prostitutes, and if you read back, there is no mention of prostitutes. How come there's a mention of prostitutes? Right? It's, it's crazy. You know why? This is my thought. We are quick to charge and judge people based on what we struggle with. Based on what we're struggling with. We're quick to identify. That guy's not real. How'd you know? Oh, because I used to do that. We won't say it that way. We won't say it that way because <laughs> unless we're going to be really transparent. Oh, I know those moves. Gianna, don't date this guy. How come you know that? That's what I used to do. <laughs> That's what I used to say. <laughs> right? We're quick to identify the things that people are struggling with because we used to struggle with that. My other thing here, okay, it's a small town. Everybody knows who and what they're doing, right? But how come two different people in the same place at the same time saw Jesus differently? Now, if you see here, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this in verse 39, he said to himself, Simon, he said to himself, basically he's thinking it, right? If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. He probably, he was just speaking to him, he was talking to himself. Now, the other thing here is, he, he's, the miss there is he called Jesus a prophet, right? He, he said if he was a real prophet, he would know. And the other thing that he's not saying here, that somehow he is implying, no, if he's a prophet and she's a prostitute, he's touching, she's touching him, she's crying, he's letting her, what's going on here? Right? What's really going on here? Why is this Mary Magdalene, the prostitute, this Mary prostitute is touching Jesus and he's letting her and she's crying? What's going on here? Are they together? Is there something that happened here? Right? It's not said there, but you can see it there. There's an implication that if Jesus knew that she is a prostitute, one charge is, why is he letting 
him, why is he letting her touch him? Because that makes him ceremonially unclean. That's what, that's what the Leviticus law said. If a sinner touches you, if somebody sinned, put him away. Put him in the camp. Because if you touch him, it will be ceremonially unclean. So he's saying the same thing with the prostitute here. Why is Jesus letting him, letting her touch him? My Filipinos coming out. I can't identify my him and her and she. <laughs> it's coming out. But you can see the repentance of the woman here. She understood. In the messages that she has heard, she knew who Jesus is. Right? She knew who Jesus was. And she wanted that she wanted that forgiveness. And she was crying because she knew how much she has sinned against God. And for her to bring that sacrifice, that very expensive sacrifice that she probably slept with many men to get. Imagine the profession of a prostitute is filthy. This is in the Bible for us to read. This is in, not in the Bible for us to sugarcoat. We are to read it for what it is. This woman slept with many men and she got paid for it. Now, I don't know about you, but I, in, in Baguio, where I grew up in, there were certain places that they, these people were in. Now, these, these women were not respected. They were the lowest of the low. Then and now. Right? So she knew who she was. She knew the ugliness of herself. But she also heard Jesus speak about repentance, about forgiveness. She also probably felt love, the love of God in his messages. So when she had the opportunity to go see him, she took the advantage and went and brought the best of what she can bring from her house. Something she worked for. Now my question to you folks is this. Do you have the same urgency? Do you have the same urgency to see Jesus? To hear from Jesus? To speak to Jesus in your prayer? To hear Jesus in your, in your reading of the word? Do you have the same excitement as she did? Coming to church on time. Coming to church whenever you can. Every time you can. And if we're, give, we're giving that best, that, that sacrifice. Are you reluctantly giving to God your time, your money, your strength, your effort? Or are you more than willing? Are you excited to give to God your alabaster jo jar of perfume? Now she did. Because she knew how filthy and unworthy she was. She knew the holiness of Jesus. And she, in her heart, she knew that Jesus was the missing piece. I've read of testimonies of, of uh, porn stars before that became Christians. And they have said that in that life, they go through depression. They have suicidal thoughts. Because in that profession, it makes them really feel low to say the least. 
So with that, I'm giving you all that picture. I'm giving us that weight so we can feel what this Mary the prostitute felt and why her tears was flowing the way it was and why she would kiss Jesus' feet. We, we all know before that there was no concrete yet, right? The roads were really dirty. There was no Nikes yet, no Nikes yet, no Jordans yet. They had Peters and Lukes. <laughs> no, they didn't have them. Slippers. Her feet, feet were dirty. That job to clean someone's feet before was for the lowest of the servants. If you were the lowest of the low, you get to clean people's feet. So she took that and did that for Jesus. While, meanwhile, Simon the Pharisee, the man of God, could not see who Jesus, who, who Jesus truly is. The Son of God, the second person in the Godhead, God in the flesh, he missed it. And he even questioned the point that he, probably not a prophet, because a prostitute, a prosty is touching him, and he's letting her. There's no discernment in this person. Now we take the second point, the evidence. And Jesus answered him. This is, this is amazing for me again. Jesus can, when God says, I know the heart. Because if you read it again, it says, Simon said to himself. He didn't say it out loud. But Jesus discerned it. So Jesus answered him, answered the question that he was thinking to himself. Simon, I have something to tell you. Now, when that, if you read the Gospels, if you read the stories of when Jesus would tell somebody, I have something to tell you, that person usually is in trouble, right? <laughs> Let me talk to you for a minute. Step into my office. You know, you know that feeling? Like, oh, that's what happened to this guy. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. So a denarii is a day's work. Okay, that's the amount of a day's work, one denarii. So basically, one owed him 500 days of work and the other 50 days of work. And then the question was, who would love him more? And then Simon answered the correct answer. So now look at this. Jesus told Simon that you have judged correctly, he said. You have judged correctly. So Jesus read the, saw the heart of Simon, and then he told him that you have judged correctly. Basically, Jesus is giving compliments to Simon, telling him, you know. It's easy for us to know the obvious it's easy for us to know the obvious, that whoever owes more will be loving more. But if we see the next verse, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears. Now Jesus turned to Simon and then starts comparing Simon the Pharisee to Mary Magdalene. And in essence, this is what Jesus said. The woman's sin, the prostitute's sin are obvious. But your sins are hidden. 
which makes it more dangerous. Now we, I mentioned this last week, that we have made categories for our sins. We have called certain sins the gross or yucky sins. And we have justified our sins as respectable sins. Right? Well, I, I, I don't rape anybody. Never want to rape anyone. I, 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 don't, I don't steal. Right? The, the obvious ones, the, the ones that are not acceptable with the society. And then we call our, 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 our respected sins uh, because we, we're, we're disciplined, we're good citizens. But the sins that we have are, are pride. We're prideful. We think we're better than anyone else. We don't like it when somebody is, is excelling above us. We're haters. Lack of the better word, of a better word. Self-righteous people. Just like Simon the Pharisee became a self-righteous person. Self-righteous people somehow are the atheists. Sometimes are the atheists. And then they question, why do I need God? I'm a good citizen. I'm a productive person. I pay my taxes. I pay more than three people. I have committed zero crimes. I don't owe money to anyone. As a matter of fact, they owe me money. God is for evil people. God is for evil, poor, and the criminal. How about the religious people, which is Simon the Pharisee? Religious people are like self-righteous people. These people think that they just, they must be accepted by God because God owes it to them. Because they have a perfect attendance at church. They have been giving their offering above anyone else. So they look at God and say, you're welcome. You should take me in. But don't bother me. Don't bother my lifestyle. Because I'm already good. Talk to those other guys there. The poor. The needy. Not me. Well, the true followers of Jesus, true followers of Jesus are the ones that truly understood and understand and continue to understand and to continue to accept that Jesus is everything to them. That they are nothing without Christ. That no matter what they do, good or bad, God has accepted them because of Jesus. And they're righteousness is not because of what they've done. But as a matter of fact, they're doing certain things because out of their gratitude and out of their love for what Christ has done. Those are the real followers of Christ. Now, where do you categorize yourself? That's for you to answer, okay? Yes, Christ has justified us. But now, is there evidence? The next slide, if it will go to the next slide. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. John 14, 21. The one who obeys me is the one who loves me. And because he loves me, my father will love him, and I will too. And I will reveal myself to him. 
You see, your obedience to God is the result of your love relationship with Him. So your disobedience to God is the result of your lack of your love relationship with Him. And then the reason why, if you're disobedient, the reason why you're not hearing and not discovering who God truly is, if you're not growing, you're still in this stage, you're still in the baby milk stage, is because you have not obeyed Him. You have not went up to the next level because you don't want to. Because for you to know more of God, obedience is necessary. Look at Simon the Pharisee. He has studied the Word. He's a Pharisee. He's a man of God, supposedly. But why did he miss Jesus for who Jesus is? Why couldn't he see Mary the prostitute repenting? Why couldn't he see it for what it was? A sinner coming to God. Well, he saw something else. Because there's a love relationship problem there. It's the same with our spouse, right? Same with our children. I'm afraid to say it. Uh, when, <laughs> when, we're doing out of, when we're doing something for our spouse out of our love for them, their response, their response and how they respond to it really doesn't matter. Do we agree? Or does it? It shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter because it was our love relationship with them. Because of our, our love, we wanted to cook for them. We wanted to serve them. Now, whether they respond correctly to it or incorrectly to it, that's their problem. Don't you agree? God's love for us is despite of our disobedience. Despite our imperfection. He continues to love us. He continues to love us. But I have to question, is your love relationship with God only a lip service? Is it just lip service? You have to examine the motive of your heart. The motive of your heart behind your actions. The motive of your heart behind your obedience to God. Are you obeying God because you want to be recognized by people? Are you serving God because you want the applause of people or men? Do you, or are you serving God because you love God? Because you know that everything about you, everything that you're experiencing, all the blessings, your health, your work, your stature, your family background, you being here in America, all of it is from Him. I can only imagine if I were in Baguio and there's this coronavirus that's going around right now. If I'm still back in the Philippines, everybody's panicking. My, my, my cousins have, have texted me and asking for the 3M gas mask. And I was like, my gosh. Because I started remembering when, when, when I was there for the earthquake. The government was so slow in responding. There was no help. But Filipino people are so resilient, you know. We just made tents out of our blankets. You know, we went out there and we start sharing our food. Because you can know we're resilient. But there is no backup from the government. The government came two months after for us. And the government in the Philippines are saying there's, there's a lack of, of gas masks because there's a need for it. <laughs> That's the response. We're, we're running short because you guys need it. <laughs> if you guys didn't need it, we'll have a lot. <laughs> but with God... You can always count on Him. God is never late. And sometimes His answer to us is no on our prayers. 
But we know that God knows better, despite our disappointments. Now, how much do you love God? Your answer to that is how obedient you are to Him. So the quest, next question is, how obedient are you to Him? So that we can find out how much you love Him. So we're not saying how much God loves you. We're not asking that because we already know how much. He gave His Son to die on the cross for us. And He is everly so patient for us to live for Him, for us to obey Him, for us to love Him in return. Now as a pastor, I will be wrong or our ministry leaders will also be wrong if they will focus on the expression or the emotions of the people. Because people, I know we were talking about somebody crying, somebody kissing the feet, somebody wiping with her hair, right? But it's not always the expression of worship because people can fake it. People can cry on cue. <laughs> right? Some people should be actors and actresses, I tell you. But we are not to just judge by that. Because the form of worship is not doesn't mean so much rather than the, the heart behind it. And we people, we're just limited. We can only see with our eyes. But God knows. God knows the truth. If you're sitting there, if you're standing, worshiping with your hands high, crying and loving God and opening your heart to Him, I praise God that you're doing that. But I don't judge a person that just has their arms crossed and not smiling because maybe they're just shy, right? They're, it's not them, but they're inside they're truly worshiping God. Now the problem, not, the problem lies not in the manner of worship. It also doesn't matter in the, it doesn't, excuse me, it's also not in the matter of service or obedience, but it lies on how much of his love, God's love, the person truly understands and it, it's produced in that person's life. The problem lies not in the manner of worship, service, or obedience. It lies on how much of His love do you truly understand and how much of it truly shows and is produced in your life as you live an obedient life for Him. Some people, they're waiting to be called to serve. And once they serve, they say, Thank you for asking me to sing. Thank you for asking me to pray. Thank you for asking me to be a part of this group. Thank you. They're excited. Some people, they say, why me? Why me again? Now that's to the person's heart. God is the one that's going to judge that situation for us, right? But if I bring everybody here, the one who obeys me, Jesus speaking, is the one who loves me. And because he loves me, my father will love him, and I will too. The third point. Oh, this is the second point. So then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
that this should be the third point, faith not works. So this is where I missed it. We're on our third point. When Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven, your faith have saved you. Let me explain that for a minute. There's not a person as a great sinner as this prostitute known all over the city. Perhaps we are not guilty of the obvious or the gross sins, the despicable sins that other people commit because ours is the sin of attitude, sin of unclean thought. It's the hidden sins. Yet the one who is aware of his or her sin will, like this woman, be heartbroken and be repentant. And when that happens, God forgives their sins. And they, in the process, become righteous, become in right standing with God. And then what you see here is Jesus commended her action of washing and kissing his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. But what saved the woman? Her faith saved the woman. Her, so the third point is faith not works. Her faith saved her. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus. That's what saved her. It was not even her love. Because her actions were showing love for God. Wasn't it? But look what Jesus said. Your faith have saved you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus didn't say, your faith have saved you. Now there's a guy waiting for you in the corner. Go ahead and get busy. No. Right? That's ridiculous. But why do, why do we somehow, how come we see ourselves doing that from time to time? Oh, I'm saved by grace on Sunday, and I'm working for Satan Monday to Saturday. Right? Onward Christian soldiers on Sunday, but here comes the devil Monday to Saturday. Oh, because I'm saved by grace. Again, we're justified. Praise God for that. He has prayed our sins yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God has covered it. But hey, we're supposed to be sanctified. We're supposed to go in peace. In peace with what? In peace with God. Continue to be in peace with God. You know, sin, I know this is, this is on, a, on a side note. Sin, sin is a lie, right? Sin gives birth to another sin. When you, Because that's how it works. In Galatians it says, right? In Galatians it says, you reap what you sow. So you say, you, you tell us a, a lie, you have to give another lie. And then another lie, and then another lie. I'm not cheating on you. Why? Why would I cheat on you? I love you. That's a lie and that's a lie. <laughs> no, not her. No, not him. And then that sin Anna Lu watches all these documentaries about murders. Those sin of, of adultery gives birth to sin of murder. A husband will, will, does not want to divorce his wife, so he hires somebody to kill his wife. So now there's that sin of murder. And then who, 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 who suffers the consequences? The children, the testimony, the church. People from the worship team had an adultery uh, relationship. The church falls apart. The children crumbles. 
that in the name of Jesus is shamed. Because, you know, the world loves to talk about the fallen preacher, right? They don't want to talk about the, all the other preachers that made it last Sunday. They want to talk about that one preacher that failed. They don't care if you made it 16 years in your marriage. They want to talk about when you finally divorced your spouse. Because sin gives birth to another sin. Sin is crouching at your door. Sin is a lie. Satan is a liar. He makes you think it's good. Continue to do it. It's like the, the drug pushers. You know, I, I had a friend who was pushing those that drugs before. Those drugs, uh, it was crank, the crank, the lower shabu. And he would give free samples first to his customers. Most of the time it's the younger Filipinos that he gives it to. And then because it's free, but then they get hooked to it. Once they're hooked to it, then he starts charging them. And they're, they are his customers for life. A very short life. That's what sin does. But praise God for Jesus. Because Jesus has justified. He made us right. So now our sanctification, guys, guess what? It's on us. The Holy Spirit will enable you to obey God. You are no longer bonded in your sin. You have been released from it. But the old nature is still very much in you. So you have the free will to obey Him. Hopefully, your love for God overpowers your love for yourself. Because most of the time, when we commit sin, we are telling ourselves, I want to please me. I don't want to please God. I want to have this affair. I want to talk, watch this, this, this movie that's going to cause me to sin. In Galatians 5.6, it says here, this is the Passion Translation. When you're placed into the Anointed One, which is Jesus, and joined to Him, circumcision and religious obligations can benefit you nothing. It does not benefit you anything. Your religious practices, either circumcision or uncircumcision, it does not benefit you anything. All that matters now is living in the faith that is activated and brought to perfection by love. That's what matters. You would want to come to church on a Sunday, even though there's a great party invitation for you, because of your love for God. Not because you're going to lose your salvation, because you can't lose your salvation. Not because you don't want me texting you the following Monday, but because you love God. You love God, that's why you want to be here. You want to get down on your knees and pray to God because you love Him, not because you need something. And God brings that need to us every time because He wants to hear from us. He wants us to continue to need Him. Now, that's not egotistic. That's the love of a father that we don't know of because our earthly fathers cannot match our heavenly father. His love for us continues to seek and seeks us for an intimate relationship, not just a beneficial relationship like, oh, you need money? Here, here's money. Happy birthday. Oh, you need something? And here you go. All right, get out, get out of my face. I'm, I'm busy. No, our God the Father wants us to talk to Him, to be intimate with Him, to, to walk hand in hand with Him. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, 
God knew it, right? We all know. But what does the scripture say? Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? He, he was asking. As if he didn't know. He was still seeking Adam, just like us. Christ died on the cross while we were still sinners. He paid for us. He wants us. He just doesn't want us on a Sunday, although that's good. Now, the coming, the coming to church is a result of our love relationship for God. But the not coming to church... Now, somebody will say, well, sh you know, you can praise God and worship God anywhere at any time. That's correct. But why can't you come to the appointed time at the appointed place? It is faith in Jesus Christ that sees the invincible, hears the inaudible, believes the incredible, and does the impossible. It is faith in Him that makes things happen. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to go there and it will go. Nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 17, 20. It is faith that pleases God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Hebrews eleven six. Knowing that Jesus paid for it all for us, for us who don't deserve it, it must produce an emotion of love, but not just a momentary emotion, but a lifelong emotion, deeper than what we have felt for anyone in this world. So powerful and compelling that we will release all our hidden sins and hidden struggles over to him and that we will ask him lord help me live for you sincerely the love that is so compelling that if you normally are not loud that you're normally timid they will become loud for god and that if you were normally loud you'll become quiet for God because you don't want the attention for yourself anymore you want the attention for God now if you were before you were self-gratifying you were selfish you will become unselfish you will then satisfy other people than yourself and if you were boastful you will become humble but don't post in your thing that now I'm humble, praise God, because he just lost it. We should be able to present ourselves to the Lord with confidence. And we should be like the attorney presenting his case in court, saying, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, please see Exhibit A, my life, my new life in Christ. That's why it's your life part. Two, your life before was done. It was not glorifying God. Your new life now, which is your new life in Christ, is now what you exhibit for God's pleasure and for His glory. Amen? Amen. There is a testimony that I'd like to share. There is this guy named Scott Heiberger. 
he got arrested when he was 12 years old, and he was arrested 35 times and sentenced to prison five times for eight felony convictions. He is what you call a career criminal. <laughs> he made it a career. <laughs> but somewhere along the way, he met God. He was in the movie with his girlfriend. He was watching a horror movie. It was the exorcism of this girl. And he got scared. For the first time in his life, he said, I had the fear of God. I went out of that theater saying, I want to surrender my life to God. I need God in my life. Imagine God works in mysterious ways. A horror movie. Something I won't watch. But when he studied, went to church, studied, became a Christian, he got arrested. He got arrested for something that he didn't know. He had a warrant that he didn't know about. But in jail, his faith became much stronger. In jail, he became much stronger. Now he leads, he leads a ministry in jail. And he wrote a book about it, Behind the Wire, A Prisoner's Journey to the Pulpit. And he said, he shares Jeremiah 29, 13. If you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. At my lowest, I sought God and I found him in prison. And he just began to radically change my life. He says, looking back, I see all those years where, where God setting me up for a comeback to become desperate for him. He said, to the outside world, prison is a place for punishment for me. Prison was a place to be alone with God, to begin a recovery process, to be away from negative influences, and to be stripped off of everything. I found freedom in prison, and I want others to as well. Again, he wrote this book, and then he says here, I've handed out thousands of books to prisoners, and I've received so many letters from people sharing how it's changed their lives Freedom isn't just about a physical location. It's a spiritual condition. There is an invincible prison that holds many in its grip. And the only way out of it is through Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for all the things that you have revealed to us once again this evening. Most especially about your love for us. I pray, Father God, that your love for us that is in us, Father, will just come out uh, us loving you. That our lives will produce obedience. Obedience that pleases you. Obedience that glorifies you. May our love relationship with you continue to improve. May we continue to be sanctified, Lord God, for your glory and not ours. May the message tonight, Father, resonate in our hearts, in our minds, and in our soul. May our entire being, Father, be about loving you and living for you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.